Today on Season 3, Episode 42 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, Bryce welcomes very special guest, Green Bay Packers writer Rob Domofsky to the UPP studio. Rob talks about his start in the industry, shares a few stories during his time covering the Packers while providing a few laughs along the way. We talk the challenges he faces in the new camp environment, his latest article, Kenny Clark, and his surprise 53-man roster edition. There is so much to unpack with this one, so grab a seat and get comfy. And now it's time for Rob Domofsky on tap. so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Go Packers! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. Unknown Packers podcast. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for our next guest episode. And I am thrilled to welcome you to Rob Domoski on tap. Rob Domoski, who covers the Green Bay Packers for NFL Nation, joined ESPN in July of 2013. His work appears on ESPN.com and he makes appearances on SportsCenter and NFL Live as well as ESPN Radio. Rob Domofsky is a two-time Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year, as voted on by the National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association. And he has received multiple writing awards from Pro Football Writers of America and the Wisconsin Newspaper Association. Prior to joining ESPN, Rob Domofsky covered the Green Bay Packers in college basketball for the Green Bay Press-Gazette from 1997 to 2013. He also worked for the Corning Leader, and the Athens Messenger. So brace yourselves, Packer fans, and let's welcome Rob Domoski to the Unknown Packers podcast. Go Pack! Go! And I am proud to welcome Rob Domoski to the Unknown Packers podcast. How are you doing, Rob? I'm good, Bryce. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, the pleasure's all ours, and this is a surreal moment. We're thrilled to have you join for our latest guest episode. And to start things off, I'm really interested and intrigued with your background in sports reporting and journalism. What compelled you to pursue this as a career? Oh, well, a uh, <laughs> uh, uh, long story, try not to make too long. <laughs> I loved basketball growing up. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, played, played basketball. But when I was five, seven, and about 125 as a 16-year-old, I realized that I wasn't going anywhere with it. Um, and the other thing I always loved was news, current events. And I really had no idea, Bryce, that like you could marry a career in news and sports like that. I mean, yeah, I read the newspaper growing up, but not that much. But but there were a couple of current events. Uh, and I'm going to date myself here and tell you how it'll tell you how old I am. <laughs> but that, that really got me interested into the news reporting aspect of this business and then realizing I could marry it with sports. The first was. I was 10 years old when, um, in 1981, when there was the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. Okay. And that was the first like time I sat in front of a television and watched like breaking news sort of unfold. And then when I was, uh, I was I can't remember what year in high school, but I was in high school when the space shuttle exploded. And again, another just like one of the first big news stories of my lifetime. Right. 
and 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 but but I was always a sports guy, mostly basketball. And I would read the notebooks in, in the in the local papers. The, my, we got the suburban paper, uh, the Daily Herald. My dad worked in the city and would bring home the Chicago papers, the Tribune and the Sun-Times. And I would pour through, like, not necessarily the game stories or the features, but the news and notes columns where the little nuggets were. And, and it was like, oh, my goodness. So you there's you can make a career out of news, but, but make it be about sports. And it was sort of at that point that I got really interested in the reporting aspect of it. Initially thought I wanted to go into broadcasting Okay, and actually went to college at Ohio U in the Scripps School of Journalism and was a broadcast journalism major at the start. But I quickly realized that there were going to be better opportunities for experience on the print side. Um, there was a daily, five-day-a-week, completely student-run newspaper. Uh, my first beat and the college paper was, um, I believe it was the cross country team. Okay. All of their meets were out of town. I never, I covered them without ever seeing a meet. Um, so basically, would talk to the coach and the runners afterwards and do features and things like that. Um, one thing led to another. Um, I actually got a, my first job was in Athens, Ohio, the town I went to college in, at the real newspaper because the sports editor there had seen my work at the student newspaper. Okay. And right oh, when yeah. I was about to graduate, the guy he had that was covering Ohio U football and basketball uh, had gotten another job. And he actually offered me and hired me before I even graduated. So like April of my senior year, I started working at the Athens Messenger. No uh, and I worked there for two years covering their football team, which, by the way, was terrible. Um, <laughs> one of the years that I covered them, they were 0-11. And you'll never guess who the offensive line coach uh, was on that team, uh, uh, the guy I would run into, obviously, much later in my career. But it was Joe Philbin. He was the O-line coach on the 0-11 Ohio Bobcats. And believe it or not, the offensive line was probably the worst aspect of that football team. No way. Joe ended up, obviously, going on to great things and being an NFL head coach. Right. Oh, his, his career sort of started there. Mine started there. Um, went on from there. uh Quickly went for two years after that, um, worked in upstate New York in Corning, New York, a, a town known for Corningware Glass, actually, but covered mostly high school sports there, um, but did get a chance to cover some um, more major stuff. They had a Watkins Glen racetrack was nearby. They had two NASCAR races. So believe it or not, I covered two summers of NASCAR racing. Um, they also had an LPGA and PGA Tour event there, covered that. So really, when I applied for the job at the Green Bay Press Gazette in 1997, I had no experience covering the NFL, none whatsoever. Um, was hired to be like the number three guy on the Packers beat with Pete Doherty and at the time Chris Havel. And that's sort of how I got into covering the Packers and covering the NFL in 1997. That's crazy. And what was what was the process like and then the reaction to then being hired by ESPN in 2013 transition? Yeah, so for, um, I guess it was, well, I guess almost 16 years, um, I worked at the Press Gazette, and really, Bryce had no intention of, you know, of moving. Um, Green Bay became sort of home, although as a person growing up in Illinois, I thought that Green Bay and, the, and northern Wisconsin was just where people from Illinois went for the weekend. <laughs> you know, our, our neighbors, in fact, growing up, had a cottage near Shawano, oh, uh, yeah. just outside of Green Bay, and, and, you know, obviously knew about Door County. I didn't know anyone actually lived here. Um, <laughs> So I thought I'll stay here for two, three years and, um, you know, eventually go to work for the Chicago Tribune, uh, which, you know, as a kid was probably my dream job. And um, in 2012 or 13, I got a call from out of the blue. In fact, I'll never forget, I was actually in Cincinnati covering a Packers preseason game 
We can probably look this up. I think it was August of 2012. I got a call from uh, an 860 Connecticut number, and I thought, oh, this must be an ESPN radio station calling me. And, and, and it was a guy named John Banks who worked for ESPN.com and said, hey, we're thinking about adding a reporter for every NFL team. Would you be interested? At that time, they had bloggers that covered the divisions, like Kevin Seifert okay. covered the oh, NFC yeah. North. Uh, but they were thinking about expanding and going to 32 teams, uh, 30, covering 32 teams with 32 reporters. And would I be interested? And I said, absolutely. And it took about a year for ESPN to get that whole project going. But I was the first person hired from outside of the company to be one of the NFL Nation uh, team reporters. And, and shortly thereafter, they had, you know, 32 of us. And uh the, the neat thing is it's kind of allowed me to come full circle in that when I told you I was kind of interested in broadcasting, mm-hmm. well, I never really mm-hmm. pursued any of that once I got into the, the writing and print side of it. But, you know, they told me, well, there's a chance, you, you know, obviously your job will be to cover the team for ESPN.com, but there's going to be opportunities uh, for television. Um, they put me uh, through an interview with the TV people. In fact, it was the producer, Mike Cambereri, who produces NFL Live and still produces that show to this day, who put me sort of through an interview there about TV. And I said, look, I, I have no TV experience. And he you know, basically said, well, just be yourself. And a couple months into the job, I found myself on SportsCenter for about 12 hours straight because Favre, or, I'm sorry, Rogers broke his collarbone in 13 and I was on television live you know for hour after hour after hour with basically no tv experience and you know the tv people said well you wouldn't have known that you have no experience because you had a good presence on a camera you brought good information and ever since then i've really enjoyed doing the tv aspect of this job and, and to be honest it's really helped my writing and, okay. and, re- and reporting in a lot of ways what a cool story and what an incredible journey i I really had no idea, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you this question. And piggybacking off of that, covering the Green Bay Packers, is there an interview or story that sticks out to you as most memorable? I mean, the one that you just shared is a very memorable one, but is there another story that sticks out to you? Well, I mean, there's so many. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's been (laughs) since 97. The the first year, I'll just say this, the first year that I covered them was the year they lost the Super Bowl to the Broncos. Had no idea really, you know, what I was coming into um, other than I'm here to cover an NFL team. And and here's when I realized how big the Packers are. I guess maybe it was the it was next offseason. When Craig Hendrick, the punter, signed in free agency with Tennessee, we ran the story on the front page of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Not the front of the sports page, but <laughs> the front page of the paper. That's how big Packers were that a punter <laughs> leaving in free agency was A1 News. And that, that just sort of was the first kind of realization, even after covering a Super Bowl, of just how big this is. But I mean, you know, as far as landmark and milestone stories, I mean, nothing could compare to the summer of 2008 when the Favre trade went down. And I'll tell you a quick story right. about that. So he's traded, uh, I can't remember what day of the week was, but it was late at night. He ends up traded to the Jets. The next morning, my my editor says, we want to send you and a photographer. The photographer is Evan Siegel, who's not now actually the Packers' official team photographer. We want to send you to Jets training camp to cover Favre's first couple days. Uh, and I said, okay, well, they're they're playing a preseason game in Cleveland like tonight, and Favre's meeting the team there. So we book tickets, fly to Cleveland. We get there like right as the press conference is about to start, and we get to this small room at at the stadium in Cleveland. 
and where the press conference is going to be. And we get there and, and the security guard says, where are you from? Who are you? We show him our credentials and we're from Green Bay. And he says, oh, this is for New York media only. So now we're like, well, our bosses just spent all this money to send us here. Evan Siegel pulls a $20 bill out of his wallet, <laughs> hands it to the security guard. He lets us in. I go to the only seat. The only seat open in this tiny little room is right in the front row, right as Mangini and uh, yeah. it was the coach, Eric Mangini. I think Tannenbaum was the GM and Favre come walking in. And Brett looks at me before he sits down and goes, Rob, what are you doing here? And I just, um, you know, this whole, I'm in this room full of New York media who obviously have no idea who I am. Uh, and, and I was just, I, I really didn't have an answer. I wish I would have said, Brett, what are you doing here? Like that would have been the, oh, man. I thought of it much afterwards, but probably just the most crazy story or story event that I have ever really been a part of. Oh, geez, that's hilarious. I could just visualize that right now. And continuing this, oh man, that was hilarious. Piggybacking off that again, you shared two just really incredible stories. One about your journey and two, this, the Brett Favre story, and then Evan Siegel giving a $20 bill to get, to get it. <laughs> That might be my favorite part of the story. Oh man, I loved it. I was not expecting that. That was a pure guttural response. I don't, the one thing I never did ask Evan is if he expensed that, put that 20 on our expense. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And with that, I mean, you shared two great experiences. I'm, I'm interested to find out regarding Lambeau Field being at or covering the Green Bay Packers. Uh, is there a memory that sticks out, a favorite experience that sticks out? I mean, the two that you just shared are, yeah. are amazing. I'm wondering if we can uh, round up and do a trifecta. Yeah, you know, it's um, th th there's there's so many over the years. You know, it's really just more about the people um, yeah. and the stories that 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 they allow you to tell. I mean, you know, Mike McCarthy was, you know, he was not the always the easiest guy, you know, to deal with in terms of his press conference demeanor. And everyone saw, you know, he could be grumpy <laughs> here or there. But a few years ago, when he was going, um, when they were going back to play the Steelers, he had never really talked about you know, going back there after his brother had died, you know, suddenly the, the one year uh, right after they lost, I believe it was lost to Seattle in the NFC Championship. Right, game. right. And there was a moment where Mike sat down with me and, and sort of poured his heart out. And, and that became, you know, a, a pretty emotional story. And then the same thing with Joe Philbin, uh, when he came back to Green Bay um, after, you know, leaving to take the Dolphins. And if, if, if you remember, you know, right before he got the Dolphins job, his son right. had, had drowned in the Fox River yeah. Um, yeah. The, the week of the Giants playoff game, the 15-1 and one year. Mm -hmm. And Joe and his wife were both, you know, just both were so open with sharing, you know, their experiences. And, and, and those are the kind of things that, you know, you remember about the job. You, you, you want to obviously tell a good story and, and, and tell it for the readers, but there's some stories that you're kind of telling for the people themselves. And those are the ones that, that stand out and, and that I'll remember. I mean, yes, there's games. I mean, the NFT championship game in Seattle, the collapse there mm -hmm. was so compelling. The, uh, the Hail Mary in Detroit, um, I mean, just incredible moments, but really it's, it's the people and the relationships that, you know, the, the, that I'll remember and do remember, and that's sort of what keeps me going in terms of doing this job. Wow. A wide range of uh, emotions from reflection to laughter to then this uh, very touching. Uh, 
want to yeah, thank it you. Makes, it does make you wonder, Bryce, like, you yeah. know, okay, it's a new coaching staff, relatively new, you know, with LaFleur and, you know, our access just isn't, you know, what it used to be. And I'm not just talking about the COVID stuff, but just the way the NFL has blown up. You don't, you know, you don't always get to, to create those relationships now that, you know, like you did, you know, when, when, when things were maybe a little different, both in terms of the attention the NFL got and obviously the COVID, I haven't talked to a, per, uh, a player or coach in person this whole season other than, you know, just guys on Zoom calls or a few guys getting them one-on-one on the phone or text message. But, you know, it's just you sort of wonder, is it ever going to go back to the way it was? And I'm glad that you mentioned that you're reading my mind right now, you know, transitioning into talking about the Green Bay Packers after getting to know a little bit about your background and the incredible stories that you just shared. With the restrictions to reporting, can you share your thoughts on the new changes that uh, general manager Brian Gutekunst talked about yeah. and the Packers that they laid out re- reporting on players' positions and uh, where they line up? Yeah, I was I was a little surprised that they cracked down. Not necessarily that they cracked down, but when they did it, because we had like three or four days of training camp practice where it, it was sort of, you know, the rules were the same, that basically you could report who was lining up where – you know, for years, the the agreement has always been that you don't report like scheme stuff. Like if they're working on, like I remember um, McCarthy, you know, one year was using Randall Cobb a ton in the backfield mm-hmm. in training camp. And, you know, he, he, we weren't allowed to report I it. See. Or like had the Ty Montgomery position switch happened in training camp, you know, that would have been off limits. It was, all, it was off limits in practice anyway, because regular season practice rules are totally different. But in the past, we had always been able to report on, you know, all the competitions, all the different, who's, who's the nickel cornerback, you know, who's, who's going to be, you know, who's rotating in at right tackle or whatever the case may be. And they let us do that at the start of camp. And then they reeled it back in. Look, I, you know, I think they're doing a disservice to fans and they think it, they think it provides them a competitive advantage to keep that stuff secret. And I, if they think that, you know, then I guess, and the rules say that they can do what they're doing, which the agreement between the Pro Football Writers of America and the teams does allow them to restrict it. They're not violating anything that both parties haven't agreed to. Then I don't see how you can argue it. What I would argue is that I just don't think that it's a competitive advantage or disadvantage. And and But it just goes to show you, I was talking to another colleague of mine in the business. I, I said, how come they think this stuff really is, is competitive? And he said, because they're crazy. <laughs> And he wasn't saying it in a you know a demeaning way, but that's just how NFL people think. They they just think this way that every little secret is going to give them an edge. And and the same guy said, I don't know whatever happened to just saying my team's better than your team, and I'm going to go out and beat you. <laughs> right. You know, it just uh, they 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 just they think this way, and 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 you know they're within their right to do so. And on top of that you were you mentioned about if things will go back to the way they were can you share on your thoughts you know leading into this virtual off yeah. season and and the new look of training camp and no preseason? Every indication that I've gotten is that things will eventually go back to the way they were. You just wonder if they will get so used to not having reporters in the locker room mm-hmm. limiting what people can report on that, that, that if it really will, but they've assured me that this is just temporary, it's COVID related. And, you, you know, at this point, you hope that, that that's the case. And I, and I will say this, the, the one, one thing that the Pro Football Writers of, uh, Association is always going to fight for is, is access to players. And, you know, hopefully the, the locker room 
becomes a place, you know, the locker room used to be part of our work area. I mean, it was, a, it was right. sort of yeah. our office. We got 45 minutes in there every day during the regular season, half hour a day during training camp. And it's where we got our work done. It's where we built relationships. It's where we got stories. And it's, it's challenging, obviously, for us now to tell unique stories because we don't have that ability to go up to, you know, say Kamal Martin, a uh, young kid who's made some plays in camp and just to get to know him. You know, we had him on a Zoom call, but that's just not the same. And he, he doesn't know who we are. We don't know who he is. So hopefully it does go back because it's it's really a service to the fans. I mean, mm-hmm. we're you know, I know social media has allowed fans to get a unique look at things and players to get much closer to fans directly. But the, the, the mass media is still the biggest connection between fans and, and, and the teams. And, and I hope that, that that still remains the case when – you know, things do go back to normal, hopefully, sooner than later. When you talk, uh, you talked about covering stories, uh, speaking of which, your latest article, which was posted the morning of Tuesday, August 25th, quote, more to Packers rookie running back A.J. Dillon than his massive legs. I feel his perfect timing, or end quote, his perfect timing, as Packer fans have been literally drooling over A.J. Dillon, most yeah. notably his massive freaking legs. Uh, <laughs> where do you foresee you know, with the selection, a second round pick, and so far, give us your take on AJ Dillon, especially this article yeah. that was just posted. Yeah, it's funny. Just a quick backstory on that on that article. Um, I'm, I'm sure you remember the first day of camp when I posted the picture of Dillon's legs, and he was just yeah. <laughs> happened to be like in a flexing position, so they looked bulging. His trainer, a guy named Scotty Smith, who runs a place called Synergy Sports performance in Green Bay and really they you know they train local high school and college athletes but it had sort of become a place where Packers players had worked would go to work out like in the lockout year 2011 when they couldn't go to the facility I remember going over there and uh, Tom Crabtree Brian Bulaga I can't remember who else were, were actually working out over there and so I that's the first I sort of got to know of that facility and that trainer but Scotty Smith sent me a, a text message after he saw my leg picture and said Hey, just so you know, we worked on Dylan's arms too. And he showed me that picture that ran with the story of him doing this T-bar lift with like five 45 pound plates on a bar that he's just gripping. Um, and his arms are bulging too. So it was just kind of a funny backstory to that story. But the thing I think is intriguing about Dylan is, you know, we've had opportunities to see big running backs before for one, Eddie Lacy, but the story was, but he was, it was a story because he was too big and too, you know, too fat. This guy is different. I mean, he is big and strong, and there does not appear to be much excess weight on him. And as productive as Lacey was with his size, you sort of wonder if Dylan can be even more so. You know, but the short term is it's so hard for a rookie to, to be able to make an impact this year because, you know, like you said, no preseason games, mm-hmm. there was no OTAs, but they're giving him as much opportunity for reps as, you know, as they possibly could to try to get him ready. And the intriguing thing with him is he never caught passes hardly at all at Boston college. And of course, as you know, Bryce, that's a big part of the offense here is for those running backs Mm -hmm. to be involved in the passing game, especially with the, what the floor wants to do. So he's getting a lot of opportunities and, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do as far as the reps with Aaron Jones, you know, what it means for Jamal Williams and, and, and Tyler Irvin, of course, was the gadget guy late last season. And, and you sort of get the sense that they're going to even 
try to come up with more gadget stuff for, for him this year. Well, that's extremely exciting. And other exciting news, which you had had shared was first thing Tuesday morning, August 25th, before the Packers practice, you had announced Kenny Clark's contract. Yeah, I've been waiting, been waiting for that details to come out, you know, for a while. Usually we get our hands on those things right away. That was my question was, yeah. am I wrong? Is that it was that unusual to take this long to get the overall picture of Kenny Clark? Yeah, and I think honestly, I think it was just the NFLPA was so backed up with getting stuff, you know, inputted into their system. Backstory on how that stuff works: once the contract's done, you know, the it's essentially up to the agent to file it with the players' association, and then um, there's probably literally interns inputting all the data into the system. So it just takes a while, and you know, we have as a reporter, you know, you try to find these contracts out, but you never want to report specifics until it's in there because you know it's exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and while uh, like, you know, it is a four year, $70 million deal, you know, the structure of it really is is pretty affordable early on, especially from a salary camp standpoint. And that's sort of what we wanted to look at was, you know, the base salaries are really, really low. The first two years cap numbers are, I think, around six or seven million in each of the first two years. And then in 2023, it jumps up to sorry, 2022, it jumps up to more than 20 million in cap hit. And it makes you immediately wonder is that the time that they're going to plan on moving on from Rodgers? Because if they're not, then you have Rodgers counting for almost 40 million in cap space that year and Clark over 20. I mean, that's almost 60 million bucks in, in cap space for those two players. Uh, it just makes you wonder if that, if it sort of revealed, you know, without them knowing it, it revealed their plans for, for the quarterback. Right. And that's what I, uh, my follow-up question was in 2022 looks to be a major cap hit for the Packers, financially speaking with the Smiths and ahem, ahem, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and now Kenny Clark. If you were Nostradamus, what would you predict in 2022? Do we see all these players playing for the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, I would assume so. Well, let's, let's take it case by case. Um, The Smiths, no reason to think not. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the timeline with Rodgers, to me, he either plays two or three more years. I mean, that, that, okay. that's it's, – it's I can't imagine it being more than that unless he just goes on an absolute Tom Brady-like tear and they end up doing what the Patriots did where they end up trade, traded Garoppolo. Could they end up trading Love? The I one see. thing about picking Love at this point if Roger, let's just say for argument's sake, Rogers is playing MVP or near MVP level throughout the whole contract, and he, and you end up wanting to keep him for four years, it almost gives you two chances at finding his successor. Like let's say two years into it, you don't think Jordan Love is ever going to be that guy. Well, now you got another crack at finding the future quarterback. Again, these are all sort of wide-eyed speculation and and small chances, but. There is the chance that by drafting Love so early and now getting you know a couple of years to look at him before he would ever have to play, that you almost could move on from Love before Rodgers, but that probably won't happen. And and the money tell the money trail tells you, you know, Rodgers probably just ends up playing two more years, and that's it. Unless Rodgers is willing to restructure his deal, because I just don't see how you can go with Jordan Love on the roster, Kenny Clark counting, you know, twenty. Uh, million dollars on the cap in 2022 how you can take a cap hit of 39.852 million from Aaron Rodgers 
in 2022. Oh man, that's going to be an interesting, interesting year. So mark your calendars for 2022. In the meantime, you've got the Green Bay Packers in training camp. And speaking of training camp, if this is something that you can talk about, is there, you know, in years past, there's always, there's always been one or two undrafted free agents that really make a splash with the virtual offseason, no training camp or training camp, no preseason. I've always speculated that this is the worst year for an undrafted free agent. No and more than likely, they seem destined for the practice squad for the Green Bay Packers. Is there no. an undrafted free agent that you foresee possibly making the 53-man roster? Well, especially considering there's going to be 16 guys on the practice squad, Bryce, that, that certainly would allow them to keep more of those guys. And it's also going to be easier for those guys maybe to get through to the practice squad because – there won't be the preseason game film on him. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Another reason Gutekunst wanted to lock down, you know, sort of depth chart tweets and reporting, because I don't think he wants, you know, I think he thinks there's an advantage to being able to sneak guys through like that undrafted free agents that maybe aren't ready to play now, but you might keep on the roster as developmental guys. Now you might be able to cut him and teams won't say, Oh yeah, I saw that guy in the right. preseason game against the you know Raiders or whoever. He looked good. You know, let, let's take a shot at him. Though I think there's going to be less of those guys make the roster for, for that reason alone. Um, but I will say this. The one guy who has jumped out at me is, and, and I, I don't know that I'm saying his name right, Tipa Galay or Galea. Oh, yeah, yeah. He is the uh, Utah State edge rusher. Mm-hmm. He's winning one-on-one pass rush reps like crazy. Now he's got to go against better competition. He really has gone against the third and fourth string guys, but – he has jumped out, but what I think the guys that you're going to see more of that make a bigger impact are, are, are those guys that were maybe practice squad last year or late roster call-ups. For example, Tim Williams, a um, guy who was on the practice squad, outside linebacker, was on the practice squad last year, and if I'm not mistaken, he got elevated to the roster late in the season. He's not obviously a rookie this year, but he was a, a new guy to the Packers last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, a guy like that's going to get a great opportunity to not just make the team, but to make plays. Uh, Randy Ramsey, another edge rusher, was in that category last year, a practice squad guy. You know, those are the types of guys that I think, you know, will be those players this year, those surprise roster guys this year. Uh, I I really, you know, Reggie Begleton was a receiver out of the Canadian League um, that got a lot of publicity in the offseason. To be perfectly honest with you, I haven't seen him do a ton so far in camp maybe a little bit disappointing because I think people thought maybe he could be a big contributor, but look, there's still, there's still another week and a half of camp left and, and there's still opportunities for those guys. I mean, we've only, we've only had what nine or eight or nine practices so far. It is just hard for those guys to make a huge impact. That's fascinating. I was not expecting that Stanford Samuels has gotten the most publicity. So uh, the curveball, I love the, you know what he, yeah, he is too. He Samuels too. Yeah, I'm remiss. I'd be remiss to not mention him. He he definitely finds a way to find the ball a ton. In fact, he almost had um, Jordan Love picked off once uh, at the goal line, and then I think he got one later on a tip ball. So, uh, yeah, I definitely should have mentioned him. He he's probably the leading guy of that of that group. But but I really like the edge rusher from Utah. I love it. I wasn't expecting that answer, and we've had guests on in the past, and Samuel's name has cropped up. So that was. But what you gave me, especially wasn't expecting the talk of Tim Williams and Randy Ramsey, guys that were, you know, very quiet or hidden last Mm -hmm. year, getting the opportunity. And then also you mentioning 
Brian Gutekunst and his you know strategic plan of getting a competitive yeah. advantage by not not allowing to share what's going on with the undrafted free agents. So fascinating stuff. And as we wrap up, Rob Domofsky on tap. I've got two more questions for you. One of them being, if you could go back. Actually, one more question, and then I want to ask our fans where they can follow your coverage. But if you could go back to one season of covering the Green Bay Packers, what season would that be? Boy, that's a good one. Um, I I honestly probably would say my very first year, 1997, only because I knew so little about what the NFL was about, and the Packers were coming off the Super Bowl win, and it was just, I, I was thrown into the fire. In fact, I started week, I think it was week four or five that year. Uh, it was, was, I'll never forget. I started the Monday after a game in Detroit where um, Don Beebe got just absolutely drilled, a massive concussion. I don't think he played the rest of the year. And the first story I ever wrote was off of Holmgren's press conference that Monday morning, uh, just about Beebe and, and, and you know what was going to happen there. But I was so just sort of overwhelmed and, and intimidated by, you know, these larger-than-life figures of, of Favre and Reggie mm-hmm. White and, and Ron Wolf and, and Mike Holmgren that um, I, I wish I knew now what I know that, you know, knew then, you know what I'm trying to say, wish I, I knew, <laughs> knew then what I know now. Um, it just, it's like any job. It takes you, mm-hmm. you know, a while to figure out what you're doing. And I just, I, I mean, I have so little memory of of that Super Bowl season, even the Super Bowl game, even though it was, you know, six months into the job, because it was all so new. But I think it's a good lesson for, you know, young people in the business, in, in any business, really, is not to come in thinking you know everything. Mm-hmm. You're almost better off coming in knowing nothing and realizing it, because I can remember sitting around listening to my colleagues at the Press Gazette and, and listening to how they worked sources and found out information uh, because that's really if, without information and, and relationships and knowledge, you really can't tell the readers something that they don't know just by watching the game. And ultimately, Bryce, I think that's that, like, I try to approach every story that way. Cause I think that's my job. I have access that, that fans don't have. And, and, and my job is to sort of take them behind the curtain and, you know, tell them something they don't already know. It's, it's not always, I don't, I don't, I succeed with every story, but when I sit down to write a story or to tell something on television, I, I feel like my job and my service to the reader or viewer is to tell them something they didn't know before. And, and I think that's what I didn't know then that I know now. I love everything about this episode and I've been a huge fan of yours, been following you. I've been a you know, been a Packers fan, grew up in the 90s, uh, was in middle school during the Super Bowl years, high school, I should say, during the Super Bowl years, middle school during the, where you got to see that the Packers are scratching the surface and um, to see what what's happening now, I'm completely humbled to have you take time out of your busy schedule to come on the Unknown Packers podcast. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And as we wrap up, could you tell our fans, I'm sure that everyone follows you, but if for some reason that they don't, can you tell our fans where they can follow your coverage of the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, well, first, Bryce, we have to give a little tip of the cap to our buddy Ken. That's right. He, he first of all, I got just to follow him with his, his incredible work on the salary cap stuff. 
on, on Twitter and, and we sort of just hit it off. Uh, Ken Ingalls, Packers cap guy. And, and he sort of was the liaison to, to get me on this thing. And so, so thanks to him. But yeah, uh, you know, Rob Domofsky uh, is my Twitter handle, D-E-M-O-V-S-K-Y. Contrary to what Aaron Rodgers says, it's not Bob. Um, <laughs> call me Bob and needle me because um, he knows I hate I hate to be called Bob. <laughs> but ESPN.com, our NFL page, I try to tweet out links to when I'm on our, our television shows. If you can stand looking at a, a bald guy on television, I guess, uh, and, you know, watch my TV hits. But I, I just appreciate you know, sort of the passion that, that Packers fans have for their team. It's not always as productive as I would hope in terms of Twitter and, and the arguments, but I hope at the end of the day that people do learn something that they didn't already know and, and, and get a little personality in there too. So, um, you know, certainly feel fortunate to, to cover a team that people care about um, because we get reports on, you know, ethic uh, on every page uh, on ESPN.com. And I can tell you that, the Packers all almost always are among the leaders in, you know, page views and and people interested in engaging. So I feel like a, I have a duty to to fulfill that thirst for information for Packers fans. You know, not just statewide, not just nationwide, but worldwide too. So it's it's always great to interact with with those people. Well, I absolutely love it. I've learned so much from this episode, and it's. A, one of the many reasons why uh, we love doing uh, the Unknown Packers podcast, getting the opportunity to connect with the team, as well as connect with quite arguably one of my favorite reporters and journalists. Well, I'm not just saying it's not, that. Hopefully it's not the Unknown podcast for too long. Hopefully it's widely known. I love it. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on and uh, go Pack Go. We'll keep in touch. Um, well, there you have it, Packers fans. Rob Domofsky. On tap, I am your host, Bryce Christensen, and this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers Podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined.